up in masters almost surely have a plan there's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of man until we've thoroughly tested every last close-chested view find the more you think you know unless you really do Here we go, higher side chatters from the Sunshine State. I'm Greg Carlwood. And though there is some stiff competition when it comes to the question of what truly is America's biggest problem, I think there's a good case to be made that the processed food industry takes the cake. Not only has its dominance eroded the market share of healthy, natural, organic, local whole food alternatives to the point that they're hard to even find, but our dependence on it has whittled away our knowledge of how to even provide a small amount of food for ourselves, setting us back even more. And one could even argue it plays a role in the aggressiveness of the modern American work schedule, because it's not uncommon to wake up tired to an energy drink, trudge through a drive through for an inadequate 30 to 60 minute lunch break, snack on boxed and bagged chips and crackers throughout the day, and order dinner in after nine unfulfilling hours of low-wage work and a little traffic cherry on top. The demands on us create the conditions for the mental gymnastics we do to justify what is an addiction to finely-tuned frankenfood that is making us sick, fat, over-dependent, and unable to use our brains properly. And few people know more about processed food and the brain than today's guest, Dr. Russell Blaylock, a now-retired lifelong neurosurgeon who has been studying and working in this space most of his long career. He's not only been a co-author on over a dozen scientific papers and contributed to medical textbooks, but he's written seven books of his own, including titles like Natural Strategies for Cancer Patients, Health and Nutrition Secrets That Can Save Your Life, Dr. Blaylock's Prescriptions for Natural Health, 70 Remedies for Common Conditions, The Liver Cure, Natural Solutions for Liver Health to Target Symptoms of Fatty Liver Disease, Autoimmune Diseases, Diabetes, Inflammation, Stress and Fatigue, Skin Conditions, and many more, and the one that really made an impact on me, Excitotoxins, The Taste That Kills, published way back in 1996. He knows a lot about a lot, so let's get into it. The do-good doctor, excitotoxin educator, and corporate food science truth teller, Dr. Blaylock, welcome to the higher side. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Of course. This sort of came about in a roundabout way where I heard you on the high wire with Dell Bigtree, and I learned a lot about your career and just how long you've been a critic of the processed food industry. And the high wire interview itself was a result of a big bit of news that came out in July where the World Health Organization committee came out and said, hey, aspartame should maybe be categorized as possibly carcinogenic, which is a pretty mild admission. And the FDA, of course, responded and said, no, you're wrong. The study was faulty, which is to be expected. But was it at least a little satisfying to see this news and warning come from the World Health Organization after speaking out on this stuff for so long? Well, as corrupt as the World Health Organization is, it is pretty amazing that they would even say anything. And of course, the companies that make the NutraSweet and these aspartame products have 
enormous amounts of money and they've had enormous power. Any critics they try to destroy, and I told that on the Dale Bigtree program about how they tried to silence an interview I was doing on aspartame. But there's been a couple of studies, like the Bressler study, which carefully analyzed the approval process. And what it found was that, just like this COVID-19 process of safety approval, it was sheer nonsense. It was concocted. And the study showed that they actually had tumors that were in the animals, and they cut them out and threw them away and said the animals had no cancer. Well, no, they're in the waste can. And they found in a previous study that there was a dramatic increase in brain cancer. What I've noticed is a tremendous increase in pancreatic cancer with people who use NutraSweet. There's many reasons why it's toxic. If we look at it, it breaks down into excitotoxins. It breaks down into formaldehyde, which produces protein adducts, particularly destroys the DNA in immune cells and brain cells and liver cells. So we see that its components are extremely toxic. And as I've always told people, that it's accumulative. So you say, well, I only drink one or two cans of sweetened cola a day. It's cumulative. So you do that for a week, and you've accumulated a lot of damage. If you do that for a month, tremendous amount of damage. And so what people see, I even saw in grocery stores, little toddlers, a year old, the mother was giving them a sip of drink out of a Diet Cola drink. And they're starting these kids on these diet colas because of obesity problems, supposedly, in children. And again, that's processed food. And they were never obese. In our class, when I grew up in the 50s, you may have one obese child or two. Most were slender. And they ate lots of sweets. They exercised. You know, they were always running around doing things. But the difference was, they started interjecting MSG in food. And that produces obesity. And we knew that from laboratory studies of mice, that if you fed the mice MSG, by the time they reached adolescence, they were enormously obese. And just about that time, we started seeing kids. Now, the Germans did do a study, and they found out, indeed, that if you feed these kids MSG, they become obese just like the mice. Uh, I talked to John Olney, who was a neuroscientist researcher who discovered excitotoxicity, and he told me the story how he discovered it. He said, we were feeding these mice MSG, and I didn't even really notice, and my lab assistant said, Dr. Olney, have you noticed that all the mice are growing up grossly obese? And he sent me a picture of it. I have a picture in the book. And I <laughs> He worked out what it does. It destroys part of the hypothalamus that controls your weight. So it's easy for these kids that were raised on MSG to get obese, and it's very difficult to get rid of. So they can exercise, they can go outside. It's much more difficult for them to get rid of that excess weight than anyone else. We found that if you eat food with MSG, it goes directly to the liver, and there's a High increase in free radical generation in the liver, destruction of liver cells, and it lasts for a year from a single dose. And some studies found it even lasted longer. So 
we have all this adulterated processed food that has disguised forms of MSG in it. It no longer says MSG, it's got a disguised name. And then we had this soy outbreak. Everybody was insane over soy because it was going to prevent breast cancer. Well, actually, if you have breast cancer and you eat soy, it makes it grow faster. And we found out from a Hawaiian study that if you eat soy for a lifetime, you get atrophy of the brain very quickly, within decades. So there's many downsides of the soy. It was feminizing the males. You take animals, you feed them soy, it feminizes them. They behave as female. So this transgender stuff is being engineered. And so there's so many facts like this that come along that show that this processed food is changing people. It's changing their sexual behavior. It's changing their obesity. It's changing their health. It's producing high levels of free radicals that are constant. It's lowering antioxidant enzyme. It's damaging the brain. It alters the formation of the brain. So these little babies are fed formula before they had a congressional hearing on it that had MSG in it, and it was affecting the formation of their brain because we know that glutamate plays an important part in brain formation. It's the rise and fall of glutamate. Well, if you're feeding a baby a formula of soy, they have a constant, very high level of glutamate, and it makes an abnormal brain. All this is known. And so this book that you referred to, Excitotoxin, which I updated somewhat, showed a lot of these things that people just don't know about that was scientific evidence. There's a lot more now. I've always threatened to write another book on it to update it. Because now we know a lot of what I put in that book is true. For instance, I made one of the first statements in the 90s about autism was caused by excitotoxicity. Well, the evidence now that autism is connected to excitotoxicity is absolutely enormous. And a number of mothers have contacted me that they put their kids on an excitotoxin-free diet, their autistic kids, and they got well. Yeah. So what we see is that the immune system activates excitotoxicity in the brain in these children. So here the child is born, you're feeding them a diet high in glutamates and aspartame and aspartic acid, which are excitotoxins, and you're going to the pediatrician and they're giving them a series of vaccines. The vaccines cause inflammation which increases the excitotoxicity in the brain for a very long time. So you're doing two things that are making it bad for these kids. And so they have the autistic kid and they say, well, I had mothers say, well, my autistic kid won't eat good food, clean food. They like junk food. The junk food's full of excitotoxin. So that makes sure the kid will never recover or the kid will get progressively worse. And they did a study even up to age 44. Well, now with this COVID-19 vaccine, we're seeing adult autism, which we really haven't seen. Now we'll see young kids grow into adults and be autistic. We've never seen adults become autistic. And it's because of this spike protein generating vaccine. Well, what you realize from the COVID vaccine is that it's producing the spike protein that infiltrates all the tissues, all the organs, including the brain, and it stays there. We don't even know how long. It may stay a lifetime. That's not like a regular vaccine, which is years. 
maybe a decade. Now we're talking about all the time. That's why these people are getting myocarditis. That's why young athletes are dropping dead. That's why we had this uptick in autism, which I predicted. I told people, I said, if these young kids get this COVID vaccine, we're going to see a dramatic increase in autism. That's just exactly what we saw. I didn't even expect the adults to get autistic, but they are. I've heard from Europeans. They're saying people are acting like zombies that have been vaccinated. And what they're becoming, they're becoming autistic-like. And it makes good neurological sense. We understand the mechanism is immunoexcitotoxicity, which is this connection between inflammation and excitotoxicity. Wow. Well, I mean, that is a hell of an introduction to this material. And there's so many little things you mentioned that I want to get deeper into. It just seems like there's no replacement for traditional, unpatentable, natural foods, though they continue to try because it's big money. But of course, aspartame is one of many excitotoxins. MSG, as you mentioned, is another one. But Talk to us about this class of food additives and the interesting history of how they became so ubiquitous in the American food supply. It goes all the way back to seaweed, if I understand correctly. Yeah, it started by a German researcher who discovered seaweed had a high glutamate level. He isolated it and he concentrated and made monosodium glutamate, which is the glutamate's a dangerous thing, not the sodium. And so you have a monosodium compound that they added to food to make it taste better. And they had a real problem that if you put stuff in 10 cans, it tastes like 10. So you would put MSG in it, then it tastes delicious. And if you've ever eaten MSG soup compared to regular soup, it's just absolutely delicious. And unfortunately, most people are driven by taste. So they say, well, yeah, it may be harmful, but it tastes good. And I said, well, you're destroying your brain. You're destroying your health. And we find effects on the liver, on the heart, on many organs, on the lymphatic system, on immunity, not just the brain alone, and on probiotics in the colon. So the effects are enormous and widespread all over the body for a lifetime. I mean, like you said, if you eat clean food that's not GMO, if you eat organic food and wash it, even wash the organic food, and you get it clean and you eat it and you make it yourself from scratch, it's good and healthy. And it doesn't have these dangerous products in it. And what we find is the processors are always looking for something else to add to the food. I told people, I said, look at the label of processed food. It looks like a chemistry set. <laughs> yeah, I mean, half the things on there I can't pronounce. And we found out they just make up names. You know, they're not real chemical names. <laughs> they just make this name up. But research has shown that these are either excitotoxins or they're or carcinogenic. They cause cancer or they cause brain degeneration or they cause obesity or they cause cells to not function properly. And that's your GMO food. You know, there was a study on GMO food, which was by Dr. Smith, who's a real expert on this area. And he sent me his new book. His new book shows that they did research on animals and showed that the male animals died at mid-age from liver and, and heart problems. And that the females died of these gigantic breast cancers. So it's a killer food. <laughs> this GMO food is a killer food. Now you feed it to animals, they become sterile. And the farmer said if you feed grains that are GMO to a cow, they don't reproduce. 
You stop it and they'll start reproducing. Well, that's population control. Exactly what this COVID-19 vaccine is, is the population control. It's, oh, he's saying it. He's going there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so obvious now you've got your head in the sand if you don't see it. It's, scientists are finding it worldwide. Experts in virology, experts in cell function, molecular biology, they're all coming to the same conclusion. This vaccine was the bioweapon, not the virus, not the so-called virus. It was the vaccine was a bioweapon. And now they're finding all kinds of things in the so-called vaccine that has nothing to do with this release virus. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you bring up the vaccine and COVID and use the term bioweapon because there are a lot of people using the term lab leak, which as a term kind of suggests that it was accidental, but bioweapon is a much stronger term that suggests this was all quite purposeful, which it seems like it was based on previous gaming out of situations just like what happened. Well, you look at the patents, you can't lie on a patent. Patents were in 2004. They were long before this outbreak. Uh, so Dr. Martin is an expert in patents, and he knows molecular biology pretty well. And what he's shown is that they had patented these things. These people, Dr. Merrick in, in North Carolina, had patented the process of converting this virus into a bioweapon, and he gave it to China. They produced a type of mouse that had human lungs to test if it would infect humans. He didn't come from a bat. It didn't come from a food center in China. That's nonsense. And it didn't leak from a lab. It was purposely released. And I told a friend of mine, I said, have you ever seen a pandemic spread so fast to so many countries in which there's there are no tourists? I mean, we have little countries. There's no tourists. And suddenly there's an outbreak of a virus. Well, where did it come from? And we found out the only people who went to that country were Chinese. They knew that the virus itself was pretty benign. So they took young people, they infected them and sent them all over the world. You look at Italy, they had thousands of Chinese go to Italy just before the outbreak. They were young. So to them, it was like a cold. To people in the elderly age, they got sick and they put them in the hospital and the hospital killed them. They forced them to take drugs that we knew caused organ damage. They put them on respirators at some places, killed 90% of people that were put on the respirator. Why were they on the respirator? Because you gave them a drug that interfered with their breathing. And then we found out that ivermectin and chloroquine completely cured the disease. You could do it at home. And a principle of infectious disease was totally violated. The principle is you always treat infections early. You don't let them overwhelm the body and then start treating them. Well, for the first time in the history of medicine, they told everybody, stay at home, get real sick, then call us an ambulance, come to this killing center, and we'll get a lot of money to give you a drug we know kills people. And we'll put you on a respirator we know kills people. And any doctor that refuses to put you on a respirator will take away his license and throw him out of the hospital. And that happened. That's the article I wrote that went all over the world. I got thousands of responses from it. Even from hospital administrators who had quit said, you're exactly right. So everything you put in that article is exactly right. They were paying extra money if they put patients on a respirator. 
they were paid extra money if they put them in the ICU. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. And as I put in the article, what they did, they bankrupt the hospitals, put them in deep trouble. They were going to have to close their doors. And then they told them, you know, you can pay all these bills off. Just get all these people on a respirator and give them some medication. And then later, we'll give a shot. And if you do, we'll pay you hundreds of thousands of dollars per patient, and you'll pay all your bills. And so they did it. Yeah, it was a, a sick system. And I do recall a lot of those footnotes, but the way you tie it all together, I mean, it just makes so much sense. It's just so logical. And uh, obviously, I want to get back to excitotoxins, but I also did want to throw this in because there's a lot of talk about what is the next pandemic. Bill Gates is saying things. There was a trend the other day for disease X. We don't know what it's going to be, but you better be prepared. Well, given that ivermectin was so useful in this situation and seems to be useful in a lot of situations, there are people who tried to get it, couldn't get it. Even if a doctor prescribed it, a pharmacist might not give it to them because of the way they were propagandized. Is there a easy method that you would suggest that people get ivermectin or hydrochloroquine to have it on hand in case something else happens and they need it in their medicine cabinet at home? Well, the best thing I told people is use the septicutant veterinary medicine. I mean, they have ivermectin for horses and such. Well, I said, you've got a million-dollar horse. You're not going to give them a contaminated drug. I said, that ivermectin is pretty pure. And so I know a lot of people that took the what's what's called horse paste, they knew it saved people. And as I wrote in my article, the government particularly emptied the pharmacies of ivermectin to hide it and then told the pharmacy for the first time in history, that has never happened in history, where prescriptions were refused not only in hospitals but in private pharmacy. Walgreens would not fill ivermectin even for a parasitic infection. Doctors were arguing with them. This isn't for COVID. This is for a parasitic infection, which it's for. They wouldn't fill it. So these people were getting money or even getting paid not to fill prescriptions for ivermectin. They knew it, that it saved hundreds of thousands of people worldwide. You know, most of the countries that saved people, it wasn't even a prescription. You could just go to any pharmacy store and get it off the shelf. And it was saving almost all the patients. Almost none of them were going to the hospital. Dr. Zelenko, he treated more COVID patients than anyone. He gave them ivermectin and chloroquine. And, and almost none of them died and almost none of them went to a hospital. Yeah, I mean, these are the things that I've heard from other guests as well. It just seems like so many people whose voices were pushed outside of the mainstream all are saying the same thing and they have plenty of credentials and should be trusted. They're just not taking that money from the big system. And I really hope that there isn't a COVID 2.0 or some other kind of new rollout of something. And if there is, I do hope people have that stuff on hand and are prepared in any way they can be. But coming back to excitotoxins, in your book, it mentions that the amount of MSG and similar additives have doubled in every decade since the 1940s. By 1972, 262,000 metric tons of MSG were produced, and many cookbooks recommended adding MSG to their recipes, especially for soups and sauce, like you mentioned. I didn't even know 
that MSG was ever a purchasable retail item. But you also say that it's been recently disclosed that excitotoxins are being added to smoking tobacco. So if that wasn't addictive enough, here's another layer of addiction. And it just seems like the evidence is quite clear of the damage it does to the body. The only thing it does is taste good. Well, that means we are a nation of addicts. And I looked up Ajinomoto, the company who produces most of the world's supply of MSG, and their stock price has never been higher than it has been in 2023. And that is really sad. That's a demoralizing sign to see, given all the data that's out there now. Well, when my book first came out, I got invited to Chicago uh, to lecture. And so there were, oh, several hundred people there. And they had the major newspapers in Chicago sent representative reporters to listen. And while I was waiting to speak, I got to speak to the man who worked primarily for process companies to put MSG in. And he talked to me privately. He says, I'm the one that puts it in the food. And he said, I don't care what you say. We're going to change the name and figure a way to get it in the food. He told me that. And I said, well, I thank you for telling me that because I'm going to tell every audience from now on. (laughs) And I did. I lectured on that. I told the audience exactly what he said. And the reporter that was from the Chicago Tribune was sitting in the audience. He heard my talk. And then he wrote an article that was critical. I wrote him a personal letter. I said, you sat in a lecture. You heard the science. And you're going to live for what you've done. Yeah, they don't care. They don't care. And let's drill down on the hide and seek game of the naming and the marketing a little bit more, because people might think, well, I know MSG is bad and they might remember a dust up a few years ago and they might assume, well, we learned it was bad and it was removed from the food supply. And Obviously, we have aspartame, which is very much in the food supply. But you say in the book that you could buy products that say right on them, no MSG, and yet it's in there. Or they'll have labels like 100% natural sweeteners, and it will be aspartame. Is there more to say about the coded language they're using and how we can avoid it? Because We know it's bad, but we are being lied to on the packaging. I guess you should avoid anything that's in a package like that. But what other types of tricks are they using to get people who know it's bad to still buy it and ingest it? Well, it's like the guy at the meeting told me we're going to figure a way to get it in the food. And what they did is they changed the name. And the law says that if you don't add 100% MSG to the food, you don't have to put it on the label. So if you have an ingredient that has 100% MSG, you can put it in the food and not put it on the label. That's in the law. And what they did other than that is to use products they knew had high glutamate in. For instance, you see natural flavors. A lot of those natural flavors have very high glutamate concentrations in them. You see soy protein extract. That's glutamate. You'll see autolyzed yeast. It's very common. And autolyzed yeast is you extract the glutamate. 
So you see all of these names, and it's a very long list. Adrian Samuels was an expert in that area. I met her, and she showed me all the names that they change, that they create. And so she's written a number of articles about these names. So they disguise the name. And people look at the package and say, well, there's no MSG in it. just has soy protein extract, has all those yeast, has carrageenan, and it's okay. No, it ain't. That's an extract that purposely concentrates the glutamate. And what we found since then is that almost all tumors have glutamate receptors, and they grow much faster and spread much faster in the face of glutamate. So if you have cancer, and you've got your cancer under control, and you eat a diet high in glutamate, it's going to spread. It's going to grow much faster. And I've written a couple of articles on that. It makes cancer grow. And so what the smart people said, well, why don't we block the glutamate receptor? Well, they blocked the glutamate receptors and add it to the traditional treatments, and the tumors respond a lot better. So here are people with cancer out there eating this food filled with glutamate. And their cancer's uncontrollable, and they're dying from cancer because they're eating what I always call is a cancer fertilizer. Huh. You're fertilizing your <laughs> cancer by eating this processed food. Wow. It's funny how eye-opening a changing of the terms can be. And I like the term cancer fertilizer. And aspartame itself has an interesting story I wanted to fit in here, made by a company named Cyril. and. Aspartame was approved in 1974, but then pulled by the FDA in 1975 because the animal studies were so damning. Then in 1980, Ronald Reagan was elected and Donald Rumsfeld was CEO of Cyril from 77 to 85 and used his sway in government to get it reapproved for dry goods by the FDA under the new head, Arthur Hayes Jr. Well, Del Bigtree said, it was one of the first things that Hayes did in his new position. And within two years, he was under investigation by Congress for taking money from outside companies. So he resigned. But the last thing he did on his way out the door was approve aspartame for beverages. So that is the rough history of aspartame, one of the worst additives ever put in the American food supply. And it barely made it in. There was a big investigation, it was banned, and then came back out. And when you think about the damage that it's done and how close it was to not being in our food supply, man, we took the wrong road there. Well, there's a cancer expert named Razzini, and he's from Italy. He is the number one person to study the cause of cancer and all these things, all foods and all natural products, pesticides, herbicides. He studies them. He did a study on aspartame. And he found that it increased the incidence of lymphoma, which was one of the fastest growing cancers we see in humans. And it increased slightly tumors, brain tumors, and it increased breast cancers. So immediately our FDA said, oh, well, it's, it's not a good study. So he did a lifetime study, a two-year study of animals. That's their lifetime. And he confirmed exactly what he said. He did a huge number of animals. And I predicted, I said, now, when that gets to the United States, they're going to cover it up. That's exactly what they did. Well, that's a lifetime study. Well, that's what humans do. 
they start as children. The whole life they're consuming aspartame. And it's just like the Rosine study. And they're getting breast cancer, they're getting cancer, they're getting lung cancer, they're getting all these cancers, and it's stimulating the growth of that cancer. And they just keep drinking it. The sodas is the number one source of aspartame. Right. That's exactly what he, he approved on his way out, is the, is the sodas. Yeah. And you mentioned seeing little kids, toddlers, getting a sip of diet soda, which is just mind-boggling to me, but it doesn't even have to be kids drinking adult beverages. This stuff, MSG in particular, a lot of these excitotoxins, they're put right in baby food, right? Well, they did it first. And Dr. Olney, who I knew personally, I stayed at his house and I visited his laboratory, is that he testified before Congress about the brain-damaging effect of it in baby food. Well, Congress didn't have the courage to withdraw it, but the companies knew that publicity was so bad, so they said, well, we won't put it in baby food anymore. They put it in adolescent food, just a little bit older. Your brain really doesn't finish developing fully until age 27. They knew that. So here you got adolescents who are, are consuming food for adolescent little kids, two and one years old, have aspartame in it and have MSG in it, and have a number of excitotoxins in it. And the mother doesn't know any difference. And that kid ends up having wrong. Well, look, my kid's fat. Well, look, my kid has a cancer. Well, look, my kid has one of these other complications from consuming this type of excitotoxin. You see? And Congress okayed that. The food processing companies encourage it. I mean, you look at some of these foods, it's just encouraging. It's sweetened with an artificial sweetener. In other words, it'll keep your kid from getting fat. Why are kids fat? They say, well, the growth of obesity is mostly in these young children. Why are they growing fat? They weren't fat in my age. They weren't right. fat all this time. And suddenly out of the blue, they're fat. Well, isn't that ironic that it's the same time you started putting this stuff in food? And like I said, it doubles every 10 years. And so now kids are fatter than ever. And they say, well, they don't eat any more than I did when I was a kid. Well, they're now getting excited toxin. Right. It's a really troubling situation. And I have a toddler and another one on the way. So I'm always thinking about trying to keep all the poisons in the world at bay. And it probably drives my wife crazy how <laughs> many rules I try to put on us and because there's just so many things in society that are toxic. I always tell her, hey, it's not my fault. Let's yeah. not use plastic. Let's not use aluminum and let's not eat any of this processed food. But to be fair, like I'm 38 years old and I probably ate as much from a drive through as anyone could between the ages of 18 and 28 soda with every fast food combo as you know, and I feel obviously okay. Maybe I just dodged a bunch of bullets. But when you read the book, it's like when you say things like a kid can get a brain lesion after just one dose of a certain concentration. I mean, this is really scary stuff. Is it reversible in any way? Has this stuff built up in my body that even if I stop now, I should expect dementia or cancer by 50? What do you tell people who went through a decade of eating trash and didn't really know these things until later. 
Well, a lot of people in that category. And what we find is is there's a great number of natural products that do protect. In fact, there's a number of natural products that protect against the effect of these excitotoxins. And that's primarily what I've been concentrating on is what can you do both to stop it and to reverse it? And what we find is a great number of plant extracts that do exactly that. And so the government is now bending over backwards to outlaw the supplements. Yeah. And I belong to another group, and that's what we do. We're trying to protect the supplements against the governments. But all the governments of the world, particularly the UN, is doing everything in its power to make sure you can't get these. And again, it goes back to population control. Well, they want people to die in the middle age. If you live in an old age, you're going to be on Medicare. You're going to be on supplement programs. You're going to have cost the government a lot of money. But if you die mid-age, you don't cost the government any money. Dead people don't cost the government money. Like I always tell people, I say there's two ways to solve poverty, or maybe more, but at least two ways. One, you can teach these people how to earn a living and sacrifice and do things, do things right and have a good life. Or you can kill them off. Both of them reduce poverty. (laughs) Which one do you want? Do you want to reduce the number of poor people by killing them? Or do you want to just teach them how to... It's like the old Chinese proverb about teaching a person to fish. (laughs) You either give them a fish or you can teach them how to fish. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it puts a new context on that whole idea of, well, just give the addicts the crack pipes. Just give them the needles. Like, we're doing this for them somehow. It's like, well, you're exacerbating their problem and probably killing them. Exactly. I find that talking to a great number of people, they yield to the most unbelievable things. I had a person who died from the COVID vaccine, 20 years old. Why did they die? Because they wanted to go to a concert and you had to be vaccinated to go to the concert. You gave your life so you could go to a concert? You're crippled for life because you want to go to comfort. I know people who had their daughters taken to a doctor, and doctor told them, oh, you got to get the Gardasil vaccine, the HPV. The daughters were not of age, and they weren't loose. They were decent girls. And they had the, the mother convinced that the child would get cervical cancer by the time they got out of the parking lot. So <laughs> they drug them off and got them vaccinated. Well, you know how many people have died of Gardasil? You know what vaccine has the highest aluminum content? You know they put MSG in vaccines? People don't know these things. You know what the incidence of cervical cancer at that age? is nothing. You know what the incidence of cure of cervical cancer and people get pap smear every year? 100%. Mm-hmm. And the number of people that have HPV infection that get cervical cancer? None. It's a lie. They didn't test the vaccine. They didn't test it for safety. They didn't test it for effectiveness. They found out if a woman just happens to be infected already with HPV and you give the Gardasil vaccine, it will give her cervical cancer. Jeez. They never tell the illiterate doctor that. And there's so many doctors that know virtually nothing. I go to see my friends, a doctor. They have big posters. And it's all about getting vaccinated. And I, I said, look at the name on the poster. It's the person who makes the vaccine. They sent you the poster and you put it on your wall. And people are taking prescription medication. I said, people that make that prescription medication, the same one made that vaccine. 
I mean, you Merck, you got Pfizer. I said, they made that medication that you wolf down every day. They made that vaccine and they didn't do any safety testing. There's people paralyzed, people die, and there's people dying all the time. And you're taking that medication and you assume it was safety tested. It wasn't. Right. And all these products they make outside of vaccines always have side effects. Like, always. which itself is a funny term because it's not a side effect. It's an effect. It's an effect yeah. of the drug. So, yeah, it causes all kinds of problems, but they can't seem to make a pill that doesn't have these negative effects, but they can make a shot that does and they do it with 100% accuracy. That's the mind state that a lot of people are in. But I wanted to come back to those plant extracts and supplements you mentioned for the people like me who did a lot of damage in their 20s and are now freaking out about the next stage of life. What are some of those plant extracts and supplements that people should start taking before they see the effects of their reckless 20s? Well, we've seen that a number of the normal vitamins, like the B vitamins, B complex vitamins, inhibit what happens in your brain when you're exposed to cytotoxins. We find that they stimulate the healing of the brain and healing of the heart and healing of these other organs and tissues that are damaged by them. And things like B12, B12 inhibits it. B1 is very important to prevent Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease, thymine. And they found that high-dose thymine, even in people that have Parkinson's disease, a number of them have gotten well. And it seems to be a problem absorbing thymine is what causes it. And so these pesticides and these herbicides, they inhibit your intestine from absorbing these things, and they damage the liver, and they do these kind of things. We're drowning in pesticides. Yes. Right now, we know the number one cause of Parkinson's disease is pesticides. It's the number one cause. And yet, it's exploding. I wrote an article on the why are neurodegenerative diseases increasing. All of them are increasing. Some are increasing enormously, like Alzheimer's. When I was a resident, you rarely saw people with these things. Now, everybody I talk to has People are dying from it. And I said, you've got to cut out the pesticides, the herbicides. You've got to wash the vegetables. You've got to eat good, clean, organic food. And you need to take vitamins. The B vitamins prevent a lot of this, stimulate brain healing. The brain secretes chemicals that is reparative. And these chemicals increase it, like curcumin. Curcumin, even in a low dose, dramatically reduces Alzheimer's disease. Hmm. They make a nanocurcumin, which is a very small molecule that is real well absorbed, goes into the, the brain cells, and is more active than regular curcumin. Curcumin is very poorly absorbed, but nanocurcumin goes into all these cells. There's been an extensive study on it, and they found out, well, gee, it's working a lot better. And it's a very powerful anti-cancer agent. It prevents complications from the treatment of cancer. It does all kinds of things. It's a powerful antioxidant. It's a brain stimulant. It's brain protectant. And so your food, you put turmeric, the spice, in the oil. And that helps protect you. And what we found is in India, the incidence of Alzheimer's and these neurodegenerative diseases were far less because they put turmeric in everything. And it's only 30% curcumin. So they isolated the curcumin and it works even better. 
things like apigenin, which is another chemical found in plants, a common plant. And it does these things. Hesperidin prevents atherosclerosis. A number of these things lower cholesterol, lower lipids, make vessels work better. It's just a whole host of things. I write a newsletter, and I, I tell about these things in the newsletter. New discoveries, the research that's been done on this. And this is the thing they don't want the public to know about. When I used to practice, we had a, a diabetologist, an expert in diabetes. And I would get a consult and see a patient in my office of this person. And I'd put them on multiple vitamins to stimulate their nerve growth. And she'd take them all off of it. Wouldn't be and say, it just makes expensive urine. No, it doesn't. It's a stimulant of nerve growth. It heals injured nerves and it combats the effects of diabetes. There's a great number of things that affect. They found that if you put type 2 diabetes, which is 90% of the cases of diabetes, on a good diet, they're all cured. They don't get the complication. It's the number one disease in America, it's type 2 diabetes. And it's purely a dietary disease. You change your diet and it goes away. You take some of these other, like the nanocurcumin, the nanocuricin, and it lowers your blood sugar. Or lipoic acid lowers your blood sugar. It is a powerful antioxidant. When Chernobyl blew up and all those people were exposed to radiation, the Americans wanted to go over there and try to, to help out. Well, the communists, of course, resisted them for a while, but eventually they let them do it and they found out. These kids had enormously high levels of what's called classogenic factor, which is effective radiation. They fed them arylipoic acid, it all returned to normal. The kids that they treated didn't get thyroid cancer and didn't get these other cancers. The other ones did. Wow. And so there's a lot of these things nutritionally you can do to reverse what's been done, and you can prevent any damage that had been done. They don't want you to know that. Right. It's so frustrating that this problem really boils down to ignorance, addiction, and laziness by relying on the convenience of these products and being susceptible to their marketing. It's pretty simple to solve. It's just like, we can't do it. And it's interesting to know that Alzheimer's, autism, these things that we thought were the market death, just completely irreversible problems can actually be reversed. Even cancer, you look at something like the Gerson method, all it is is taking people into an isolated environment and feeding them organic fruit juice smoothies for the most part, cold pressed juice. So getting all that stuff out of their typical diet, you have to take them out of their environment to get them to change their habits. And so that's why they tend to bring people into like a controlled environment so they aren't susceptible to all those other factors. But with autism and Alzheimer's, have you ever faced a sort of cognitive dissonance in terms of like family members who don't want to admit this is the problem? I mean, I know this happens with vaccines. There's so many people who won't accept that that could be the cause of their kid's autism because they don't want to feel that guilt of what they did. But when it comes to the dietary stuff and the idea that some of this is reversible, I have friends that have autistic kids and I want to say, hey, listen to this interview, read this book. 
maybe something can be done, but I'm afraid to do it because it's such a touchy subject and I don't think they're going to believe me and it's only going to damage the friendship. Do you see that when you talk about these kind of things? I see it every day. And what it is, is a couple of fronts. Americans and Europeans tend to trust authority. That's it. And so they say, well, the FDA checks everything. So it must be okay because it's FDA approved. It's a revolving door. We found out the pharmaceutical companies are paying the regulator a lot of money to okay the drug. For instance, one of the researchers was hired by a pharmaceutical company to test a drug. He tested the drug and he said it's dangerous. It doesn't do what it says. And he said, I'm going to write another article warning people about it. They said, if you do, we'll sue you. Say, so we hired you. That information is controlled and you can't release it. And he was backed up by the courts. I mean, the pharmaceutical company backed up by the court. So there's a lot of things that the public just don't know. And so even when I go to people and I tell them this stuff, they say, well, my doctor said, I said, I'm a doctor. I'm a lot better trained than your doctor. And I went to a medical school just like your doctor. And I went to a residency a lot harder than your doctor. And you believe him, but you won't believe anything I tell you. And it's orthodoxy. It's because it's authority. And so they see the doctor in the white coat. He's got a scope around his neck, and he's an authority. And they're not going to believe anything you say. And this is what you come up against, and you gradually begin to learn. Nothing you say, articles, nothing, will change their mind. Like recently about the COVID vaccine. Uh, one of the really smart people said, had called one of the regulars and interviewed him and said, well, send me one article that shows it's safe. And this bureaucratic idiot said, I'm not going to debate you on it. He said, I don't want to debate. I just want one article that says it's safe. They wouldn't send it because there's no such article. You see, that would pass muster. And so it's easy to fool the public. There's an old saying Mark Twain used to say which it makes more sense than anything in the world. And I put it in an article one time. It's easier to fool people than to convince them they've been fooled. And it's ego. I'm too smart to be fooled. It's just like a con man. Con man is going to sell you a piece of property that's underneath a swamp. He sends you a glossy brochure. You look at the brochure and it shows this beautiful place. You've never been there and you buy the land sight unseen. And you go there and it's underwater in the swamp. And you say, do you know how long that con has been around? Forever. People continuously fall for it. It's just like the con that we, this vaccine, con of the autistic kids, con of everything. It's people fall for it over and over. And we go through this COVID again. It's going to be masks. It's going to be distancing. It's going to be lockdown. The same nonsense we went through. They studied all of it. They said, well, where did the distancing come from? We made it up. Well, where did the safety on the mask come from? We've never done a safety study, but the ones that were done showed it's not safe and that it actually makes you worse and that it's very harmful to children. Every school, a child wore it all day long. It affects brain formation, affects personal relationships. It affects learning. And the effect of the 
CO2 and the hypoxia all day long increases their risk of cancer and a bunch of diseases. And so several experts have written about masks and told them, don't ever do this again. If we have another outbreak, they can do this again. And the public say, I'm listening to them. Look at the people that were thrown out of stores. Other customers threw them out. Get out of the store. You don't have a mask on. And they were screaming. I said, your mask is below your nose. If there's a virus, it's in your nose, not in your stupid mouth. And yet they're screaming. Their nose is exposed. I've seen them walk around with a mask under their chin. The nose and the mouth is not covered. I said, why are you wearing this mask? Is it a decoration? Is it cosmetics? <laughs> you know, what, what is it? It's certainly not to prevent the transmission of virus. Then they do a vaccine, and they admit, all the studies show it doesn't prevent transmission and it doesn't protect you. Why are you taking it? You just want the complications? But you can't reason with people because an authority said it. It's true. I mean, I faced the same problem through COVID with not getting vaccinated. I've had people in my life say, well, then I want you to get tested before every time we hang out. I say, oh, I'm not going to do that. And it's like, if you got the vaccine, then it shouldn't matter what I do. And the same thing has come around again with my daughter. Other people are nervous to be around her because they think she's a walking biohazard because she hasn't had these shots. It's like, well, look, if you've had them and your kids have had them, what difference does it make? That's right. They should be protected. You can't reason with them. And that's the thing that's shocking to people like us, is you can't reason. You can show them a study. You can show them 10 studies. You can show them 1,000 studies. that shows your kid got the MMR vaccine. Why are you scared of my unvaccinated kid? They're protected, according to you. Yeah. They can't get the measles. And then we look at measles outbreaks. How many of those kids were vaccinated? Oh, 90%. Well, how many of the unvaccinated kids got measles? Almost none. How many kids in this country before the MMR vaccine was even invented ever died of measles? Very few. It's extremely rare. Ask how many doctors. Have you ever seen anybody, a kid die of measles? I've never seen them. Have you ever seen lockjaw? No. And yet, this is what amazed me. You go to the emergency room, my son cut himself on a vase in the living room. And they go to the emergency room, they give him a tetanus booster. And I tell them, why did you get a tetanus booster? Was there a cow in the living room? I said, almost all tetanus comes from animal feces. If you didn't have a cow or a chicken or something in the living room, why did you go get a tetanus shot? Tetanus shot has one of the highest aluminum levels of vaccine before the Gardasil shot. Wow. I didn't know that. I thought it was rust. It's nonsense. Yeah. And everybody comes in with a cut, they give a tetanus booster to. And their risk of getting a tetanus is essentially zero. Yeah, they've made us believe that it's rust. And so I've definitely stepped on rusty metal before and thought, oh, shit, I guess uh, I'm rolling the dice here. I mean, I'm not going to go get a shot, but I guess maybe I'm at risk. I don't know. I didn't know it was animal feces. I thought it was rust. Animal feces. And we were told the same thing. I was kid rusty nails. It had nothing to do with rust. It's barbed wire fences. Cows rub against it, get the feces on the barbed wire fence, and that's where cattens came from. 
Wow. And they looked at World War One, World War II, they said, well, that's a nasty wound. That's a filthy wound. The incidence of tetanus was enormously low. Interesting. So, man, as we're wrapping this up, I just want to say to people, the science is so clear. Don't wait until you have a health crisis to deal with what I will call most people's addiction to this processed food. It's like a cigarette smoker who says, well, I feel fine today. I'm going to quit the first signs of illness. It's like, well, now you're dealing with a health crisis and an addiction. Deal with your addiction today so you can stave off health issues tomorrow. I mean, clearly you would probably agree with that being good advice. Do you have anything to say for people in terms of getting a handle on that addiction or changing their patterns that they're probably stuck in? Well, it's all willpower. And like I say, yeah, everybody likes donuts. Everybody likes candy bars. But you have to use willpower. You know, we've always known that. It's this prevention. It's like the old saying, ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And it's true. It's a lot easier, for instance, to cure infections when they first start than it is when they're full-blown. I mean, sepsis kills tens of thousands of people every year. Well, that's the end stage. If you treat it early, you never never get sepsis. And the same with all these things like atherosclerosis and cancer and heart disease. Treat them early, eat a good diet, exercise regularly, and you won't get these things. If you smoke and you say, well, I feel fine, and then you have a heart attack, well, your body's filled with atherosclerosis when you have a heart attack. It's too late. If you die, it's too late. But if you don't, it's not too late. You stop smoking, clean up your diet, and you take certain supplements that are known to clean out the atherosclerosis. And that's what people need to learn. And that's what I put in the, in the book, Health and Nutrition Secrets That'll Save Your Life, is about each different type of system that'll change you. But there's some things you can't change, like fluoride of water. Well, don't drink water that has fluoride in it. Geoengineering, they're dropping nanoaluminum in the sky. People are breathing it. And what I tell you is nanoaluminum goes through the nose directly to the brain. You're breathing. It goes from your lungs into your blood and into your brain. What do you do about that? Well, the thing is, you, you just got to stay indoors more and make sure there's no chemtrails in the air when you're doing it. But it, it lasts for about two weeks after they drop it. Uh, but you need sunlight. You need sunlight and your air conditioning unit is probably pumping in the air from outside anyway. Well, you need an air cleaner. Fair. Most of the products in your house are off-gassing and they're producing toxins. I had a, a patient one time build a brand new house and he said, I couldn't go in the house. He said, I just broke out horrible allergies from the house. Sounds like me. Yeah. And he said, I, I had to get rid of the house. I couldn't live in it. There's all kinds of hazards and they're increasing them like this microwaves and 5G. And we know that these things are carcinogenic, they're neurotoxic, and they just keep increasing, increasing, increasing. Yeah. I mean, I've always had like chronic allergies and I still have them today, even in this new place in this totally new environment. But I know I should do better too. I know that I have a lot of holes in my health game and I do episodes like this to confront them and to try to motivate me, scare me into doing better. But I think when it comes to willpower, one of the best tools for me is spitefulness, 
for them trying to manipulate me. I don't like to be manipulated. So when we go over the fact that this is a chemically addictive thing that's been engineered in a lab to pull on all your pleasure centers, that helps me to say no, because screw that. And I hope that the people listening feel similarly, but this has been a real treat. I know it's a marathon session around here. I ask for a lot of time, but I appreciate everything you shared and your dedication to educating people on the damage of processed foods, vaccines, and the whole system in general. Anything else to add about following up on your work or where to get the books or anything upcoming you have coming out? You mentioned a newsletter that people should be informed on how to get. Yeah, I write a regular newsletter, the Blaylock Health Report. It's published by Newsmax, and it comes out every month. They have a print edition and an edition for the computer. (laughs) I write that once a month, and I usually do pretty extensive research for each newsletter, and I get a lot of feedback from patients that are elderly saying they've gotten a lot better. I had patients with arrhythmia. There's been all these drugs, and they never got any better, and I'd switch them to something else that's natural, and they'd say, I'm fine. <laughs> it, it got well. Some of these drugs are deadly, especially the more recent drugs. Like statins, I tell people never take a statin. I don't care what they say. And, and there was a cardiologist at one of the big universities who, who, after the patent ran out on statins, he said, statins have been oversold. And I always ask people, I said, well, did your cardiologist go out of business? Apparently, there's no more heart attacks because almost everybody is taking statins now. Did he go out of business? Is there no heart attacks anymore? And you look at the rates, heart attack rates are the same. They haven't changed at all. They're lying. (laughs) Right, right. Man, yeah, the evidence should be right there, right? So, Yeah, I mean, just common observations like you were saying you do is just observe. I mean, you look and you say, well, they said this is the greatest advance in heart attack Ever statins, well, are heart attacks disappeared? Have they been cut in half? I said, that's what happened with some other things. They just disappeared when people started doing the right thing. Yeah. If all this isn't a problem, why aren't we the healthiest nation we've ever been? It should be so obvious. I mean, doctors should be closing their doors. We don't have anything <laughs> to do. Everybody's healthy. <laughs> uh, great points. It is really kind of sad and depressing stuff, but I'm glad we could take an honest look at it and share a couple laughs over just how ridiculous the whole thing is. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks again. Take it easy out there. And if you know anyone in your network in the Tampa area that you trust, I, I need that resource. But you know, we'll talk about that later. But thanks so much for your time. And I hope people learn something today and change their ways if they need to. I thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Of course. All right. Yes, people. Dr. Russell Blaylock, definitely one of the good ones. And he was calling out MSG and aspartame way before it was cool. And I thought this would be an interesting interview because I heard him breaking down the history of these compounds and these companies in ways I hadn't heard before. And I think some people know about Donald Rumsfeld and aspartame, but it's an important story as to just how close it was to being banned from the American food supply. Yet, it slipped back in by literally a small handful of corrupt people who had a vested interest, and look how much damage it's done since. Sometimes I'm just in awe of how these things happen and how close we were to a different reality. 
Plus, it's good to talk about MSG because I think some of us have a false sense of security around it. I think people who are in their mid-30s probably remember this big campaign against it where it almost seemed like it was banned, but they just change a molecule or two, keep the no MSG marketing, and move along like nobody's going to notice. And oftentimes, they don't. So deceptive food marketing is a huge thing, but if you stick with organic whole foods, then you don't even really need to wonder, right? So ton of good info. One of my favorite health slash food type episodes in a while. I always learn a few new things and I appreciate the reminder to eat right because I slip into old habits of convenience and I justify it by saying, well, this is a better brand than what you find on the bottom tier, or it's just going to be this one time. But reminders like this interview help me recalibrate, and I hope I'm not alone on that. And after the interview, Dr. Blaylock actually sent me some studies and papers to back up some of what he had said, which I also really appreciate. It's great to have guests who really know their stuff and can pass along more information to back it up and are that confident in their perspective. So you can find those in the show notes if you want to dig deeper. And higher side news, or really Carlwood family news, man, it has been a whirlwind of a week. I don't really like to get too personal with my wife's stuff, but this is going to affect how quickly I can get back to work. So I'll say that she went into prodermal labor again, which is just a fancy term for very prolonged labor. And on the fourth day, we knew it was coming. And after 12 hours of active labor, she got what we both really wanted, a natural home birth of a healthy baby. And it was a 10 pound, three ounce, 23 inch long baby boy. So really, I couldn't be happier or more proud. She really crushed it. When he was coming out, he had a shoulder dystocia, which is just a fancy word for the shoulder getting stuck. It happens. He's clearly a big boy. But it got scary there for a minute. And our midwife jumped into action. She did her job well, and it worked out. Got the baby out, laid him on mom's chest, and then five minutes later, my wife had a completely unexpected seizure and was rushed to the hospital, and I had to put my 10-minute-old baby in a car seat and rush after her, of course, to make sure she was okay, but also to get the skin-to-skin and start the feeding. So, really just another very traumatic and scarring birth experience for me where my wife is kind of incapacitated, whether it's unconscious from being put under before a C-section or unconscious from a seizure. But yeah, then after four days of labor, we then were in the hospital for another three days. I guess she had or has eclampsia, even though she tested negative, but it's just this thing that happens to some women, but they say she's at risk for another seizure for a 12-week postpartum period, and then we should be in the clear. So I can't really leave her alone. She can't be driving. And we now have two kids under two that we have to manage all day together. And it's just frustrating, honestly. And I guess a little defeating. Only made worse by being kind of a public figure. Because twice now we tried to do everything right. 
and things have still gone wrong. My wife didn't even eat an inorganic apple for nine months. Now she's got four different drugs pumping through an IV in an electromagnetic soup, eating cheap jello out of a plastic tub, and being fed generic MSG-filled bone broth powder from a styrofoam cup that they poured boiling water into. This is the healing of our hospital system. (sighs) I'm angry. I'm sad. I don't know. But because of Pitocin and other drugs, as well as the size of our little guy, she lost a lot of blood and her hemoglobin level was at a 6.3, which I've now read online that that alone kills people. So they wanted to do a blood transfusion, which she refused. So we basically left the hospital against the doctor's advice. Because of that, they called CVS to cancel the prescription for pain that they were going to give her. So be it. Really petty shit, if you ask me. It is what it is. Now we're at home doing all we can with magnesium for the seizure remediation and low blood pressure and iron for building back all the blood she lost. Our son, his name is Roman Lewis Carlwood. Roman, we just thought was a cool name that matched the energy of theory. You know, we can't have one kid named Theory and one named Mike or Tom. It's weird. So Roman, we like it. And Lewis, in honor of being from St. Louis, we thought that was a nice touch. So little Rome was also pretty yellow when he came out. Not uncommon. But again, because we're stuck in the damn hospital, being woken up every single hour of the night for three days, it was hard to give him what he needs. But long story short, I think we're all through the woods now and everybody's going to be okay after yet another scary, intense crash landing. And we are done now. We have the typical nuclear family and I never want to go through something like that again. Birth, just in my experience, is not this happy, joyful thing. It's traumatic. It's scarring. This whole mental picture of a home birth where the baby comes out and everybody just cuddles and we're all happy in our own bed. No, it's panic, mental anguish, and complete exhaustion and just super scary. But everyone's on the mend and I'm playing Mr. Mom, making the meals, trying to manage. So I'm really lucky I recorded as much as I did before the baby came. So Outside of this little update, my wrap-ups are going to be pretty short, and I'm just going to get these interviews out to you as I can after maybe putting everybody to bed in the evenings, but thanks for understanding. If you've ever thought about Plus, I would appreciate a little bump in signups because it helps to lower the stress that by being not so present, the whole thing will collapse. That's also a track running in my mind. I don't think it will. But these are just the thoughts that come up on top of everything else. And I honestly do not care if you follow me on Twitter, but if I need to put on any little updates, that's where I can do it. Otherwise, just trust that I'm going to have five shows out to you before the month ends. And the second hour of this one has all sorts of interesting added context and information. Hop in if you want to hear more. But I did make a quick post on Twitter when labor started because I'm fortunate enough to have a following that for most of human history, people didn't have. And I got a ton of people putting out their thoughts and prayers. 
And I'm very thankful. But given the experiences of the last week, I start to doubt that thoughts and prayers really mean much. Hundreds of people putting out good vibes and putting out well wishes. You just think that would move the needle and help everything go smoothly, but not really. Sure, if the bar is that a week later everyone is kind of safe and mostly healthy, I guess that's good, but I don't get why we had to go through this extra stress and nightmarish hospital experience again. You already have to wake up every two to three hours to feed a baby, and now you're in a room with constant beeping, uncomfortable beds, and people just walking in to take vitals every single hour. It's insane, and it's actually pretty close to torture. Just as a small example, and then I'm going to let this go, but the final straw was when we had finally lined up the baby's sleep with our own. You know, you're on this thing, you're trying to ride the waves, the baby is full, he's passed out, me and the wife were dying to pass out as well, and it's about 4 a.m. Well, right in the middle of my first REM cycle, probably 4.15, lights come on, and the nurse barges in saying, hey mama, so in your records, we didn't see an HIV test, we just need to get that from you real quick. And it's like, dude, we're finally asleep, get the fuck out of here, we're not here for HIV, and it's four in the morning. But this is how it goes. Anyway, let's look at the meetup calendar, and then I'm going to get back to the fam. So here we go. September 16th today, Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. September 22nd, Alamosa, Colorado. September 24th, Ventura, California. September 29th, Oakland, California. And September 30th, we have that event in Columbia, Missouri, in conjunction with the No Agenda fans as well. So that'll be fun. There'll probably be way more No Agenda fans than Higher Side Chats fans, but we're all talking about the same kind of stuff. So should be good. Looks like there's a couple in October already, but we'll get to that later. So there we have it. Meet some new like-minded locals. Add events to the calendar if you want to take charge and not just wait for one to pop up around you. And huge thanks to Dr. Blaylock for his dedication and his knowledge and his time. This was seriously a good one. So sign up for Plus if you want more for yourself or have any interest in easing just one of several layers of stress that I'm dealing with right now. But otherwise, I will see you soon with another show. Take care of you and yours. I wish everybody the best. Cheers. Your move, MSG makers, aspartame engineers, and corrupt Frankenfood companies. Your fucking move. Sometimes when I get down, I eat a bunch of corporate junk. Process stuff that makes you fat. Yeah, it's a weak and sickly people making industry.
technology And every now and then I try to quit 